In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God's grace, his mercy, and his peace be to each one of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, on this second to the last Sunday of the church year. As the church year draws to a close, the texts that we heard last week, this week, and we'll hear next week, all point us to the close of the age. The close of the age. With these texts, God means to sober us, to give us perspective, much-needed perspective, that there is going to be a reckoning, a settling of accounts. And much is at stake if we lose sight of this foundational principle that God will judge not only the whole world, but each one of us individually. He will take into judgment every thought, word, and deed. What perspective is lost if we lose sight of this? Why? we end up not sober. We end up like those we see in the world all around us who do not think that there is ever going to be a reckoning, who do not think they will ever be judged based on what they've thought, said, or done. How else can you explain the madness we see around us? Politicians who run off to parties themselves while telling us we can't have Thanksgiving. Politicians who gladly promote and permit riots, violence in the streets while shutting down the churches. How are they going to answer for their insobriety? So too, we have in our culture celebrities acting like priests and pastors. They themselves putting before our eyes nothing but myths and impious, godless myths at that, and then standing up as if they had some great calling from God to instruct all of us peons on how we ought to behave and think. How could one be so blind? How could one be so drunk on their own egos by losing sight of the reckoning that is to come? How can we leave out the big tech big corporate visionaries who act as though they are demigods ushering us into some glorious future of their creation where we're all basically worker bees and their beehive. Thanks, but no thanks. And yet they do this with a straight face as if they themselves and not Christ were our saviors. Complete lack of sobriety. So important is sobriety. We heard Paul in his epistle to the Thessalonians mention it just twice, twice in this tiny little reading. When we lose sight of the fact that there's going to be a reckoning and a judgment, when God allows us to prosper, all the more do we think we need no God, all the more do we devolve into a kind of cynicism. We heard Zephaniah in the Old Testament criticizing that cynicism. He even puts words to their thoughts. He says, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. And isn't that the perspective of people all around us today? If there is a God, he's not going to do anything about it. He's not going to do good or evil. Everything is subject to chance. He doesn't care. He is indifferent. So that's the question that I would pose to you today. 
It's also the title of my homily. Is God indifferent? Is God indifferent? Well, the people that Zephaniah preached to thought he was. But boy, were they proven wrong. Indeed, God's people were proven wrong twice when the Assyrians came down and took the ten northern tribes and again when the Babylons came down and took out the two bottom tribes. Judgment did come. God is patient. But don't mistake that for indifferent. Jesus, our Savior, our risen pastor, would have us be sober. He would have us be spared from the judgment and wrath that is to come. It is remarkable how many times Jesus preaches about wrath, about judgment, and about the end of all things. It's as if Jesus, our Lord, thinks it's good for us to hear about this. And so the parable he tells is a parable of warning that we who have ears might hear. He tells a parable of a man, a very, very wealthy man, who puts everything he has into the possession of his servants. Well, that's how the ESV renders it. A better rendering, non-PC as well. Slaves. Puts everything into the hands of his slaves. Now, why ought we emphasize that word slave, despite its sort of negative connotations in our culture? Because a slave is owned. And that's precisely the gospel foundation of this text. We are not our own. We are owned. No longer do we belong to Satan. No longer are we slaves to sin and death. We belong to Jesus. We are slaves to his forgiveness and righteousness. He has purchased us, not with gold or silver, but with his own precious blood. Once and for all, we belong to him. And everything he has, he gives to us. So gracious and loving and merciful is he. Now in the parable, this master gives five talents to the first, two to the second, and one to the third. A talent is really a measurement, a weight of precious metal. Our expert on this text in the LCMS, Jeff Gibbs, tells us that a single talent is equal to about 20 years worth of wages. So the five talents is 100 years worth of wages. The two, 40 years. And the one, 20 years. Huge, lavish sums of money he simply hands over, so gracious and good is he. What is maybe the most stunning thing of all is what the first two servants do. Immediately, they run out and put it all at risk. They could lose it all. How on earth would they ever repay it? Why on earth do they ever do such a thing? 